My name's Nathan, and uh, so, so good to see all of you here this morning. I have the privilege of sharing the message. Let's pray together before we start. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the time that we, we find ourselves reflecting in on you coming to Jerusalem for you laying down your life, but again, not staying down, but rising from the dead. And so, Father, as we just prepare our hearts and minds, we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move, that that you would help this word be concise, that it would be uh, your will and your ways. That, Father, that you would speak through me as if I would fade away in the background and you would be exalted this morning. That it's you we want to hear from, not wise and persuasive Nathan words, but Holy Spirit inspired. And so we thank you for this time. Amen. Like I said, my name is Nathan. It's always a privilege and an honor to be with you. We are getting back into our Luke series. I'm actually going to pick up a piece of scripture. It, when we, when we plan this out and, and put it together, uh, Palm Sunday is actually next week, but I had the scriptures where it talks about Jesus' triumphal entry. And so I'm actually going to lead you into kind of, it really does feel like this morning a, a teaching part in the beginning where we're going to just learn about Palm Sunday and the significance and importance of, of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And so we're going to do that before actually Palm Sunday next week. So I encourage you to, to read this as, as well, to prepare yourself for next week. As I was preparing this message, I was, I was thinking about, does anybody ever get excited when they're anticipating something? Maybe, maybe it could be, you know, it could be something like a purchase. It, it could be possibly a, a, a book from your favorite author, or maybe an album from your, your favorite artist. And, and it says, you know, uh, it's going to come out you know, weeks, weeks or months down the road and, and you're anticipating this. Maybe, maybe you know what, the, these purchases you see online and you pick a shirt and, and you swear that, that it was salmon, but when you get it, it turns out it is actually a pink shirt. Maybe, maybe you, you, you actually put the shirt on and it doesn't fit. That, that what you anticipated it actually being like, when, when you received that, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Has anybody experienced that? Luckily, you know, if it's Amazon, you can return it and those sort of things today. And you, don't, you aren't stuck with maybe that pink shirt that, that you actually wanted, the salmon-colored shirt. But if we... If we Continue down that trajectory, and, and we, we maybe look at more significant examples in our lives. Possibly you've been married for, for a number of years, and, and it's, it's, it's not the way that you anticipated or expected it to be. Possibly, possibly maybe, maybe now you have children, and, and it's way harder than you thought it was going to be. It's, it's not. They're lovely. They're, they're amazing. It's a gift. As you saw my... Spider-Man running around the frontier. Maybe, maybe it's a career. Maybe you, you, you thought you would be further ahead down the road. It's not turning out the way you thought. And as I was thinking about these things, I've, 
I feel I might have shared this story, but I was thinking about how our amazing kids were born. And Megan and I decided, more so I, I left that decision in, in Megan's hands, that Madison, our firstborn, actually was born at home. And it went perfectly. There was not, no complications. It was quiet. It was peaceful. It was us and the midwives. Uh, our, our house looks out into the forest, and, and it actually just everything went smoothly. A couple years later, we're expecting, uh, Megan's expecting again, and, and our middle son, we get a couple ultrasounds, and we find out that he is actually breech. And if, if what we had done, as you can think about it, is we, we, had, we had thought that babies came this nice and easy way, and it's just going to be simple, and, and we could have anticipated it was going to go a certain way. But as our Sam came into this world, it wasn't the same. He was breech, and so you have to do a few different things, and often it leads to a C-section, but we were blessed to be connected with a doctor, and, and he, he assured us that, that Sam fit, uh, met the criteria that he could actually be born naturally. So we are at the hospital, and, and I, I don't know about you, but, but I just want to, my wife honestly is amazing. And, and it, it's comical from, from my standpoint is people literally were popping their head into our room like, hey, can we be a part of this? We heard that, that you're going to do this naturally and, and all this. It literally was a full room because it doesn't happen in Nanaimo. It just doesn't really happen that, that a breech baby goes full term and has it naturally. And so Megan, being the amazing person, she's like, sure. And the doctor's like, hey, could I actually train somebody to do this? Oh, so Megan's like, sure, no problem. I'm like, okay, I guess this is the way that it's going to go. And we, we get rushed in before uh, he's about to uh, be born. And, and literally the room is full. And I'm like trying to put on this gown. And I always put them on backwards the times that I've had to put them on. And, and, I'm these, and it's like people everywhere. It wasn't like the experience that we had with our daughter. You see, we can do that in our own lives, can't we? We, we have our, our minds and our hearts fixed on the way things should be, but, it, but it often in life it, it turns out different, doesn't it? And what we're going to see this morning is, is Luke actually as we, we look at the triumph of Jesus coming in, Luke actually shows us that, that Jesus comes a little bit different than everybody expected. As we're going to read, the people of that time had a picture in their mind of how Jesus should come. And he didn't come that way, did he? A king of kings is supposed to enter the city in a different way, as we're going to read this morning. That Jesus often comes in different ways, doesn't he? Different ways than we expect. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Luke 19, verses 28 to 41. Verse 28. Maybe I just back up just quickly as, as, again, if we give some context, Jesus has just gone throughout the various places. He's healing people, and he's, he's told these different parables and stories, and, and, and there's parables, obviously, that happened before. And so after telling the story, Luke is just referring back to the verses before. 
But verse 28, after telling this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent his two disciples disciples ahead. Just quickly on the geography, have anybody been able to go to Jerusalem in this room? That's awesome. I, I was stuck looking at Google Earth and, and these images just to, I wanted to, to immerse myself in, in what Jesus and the people there, what they, what they saw, what it looked like. Obviously, it looks different now, but to get a picture. And so the first city that's mentioned is just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It was about 900 meters away or 900 meters outside of the city. It was the, the furthest point that, that some of these traditions and, and, and of, uh, things from the temple that, that they could go only quite that far. There was all these rules around it, and that was the outskirts of how far they could go. Then you see Bethany, a small village on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives, just outside as well of Jerusalem, situated on the west bank. Then we have, as it mentions, in, as we just read, is the Mount of Olives. It was, it was again, this, this ridge east adjacent to Jerusalem. These, these hills that, that it was a part of are about, if we use feet, about 2,700 feet in height. And, and Jerusalem being about 250 feet below. And the name Mount of Olives comes from the, the trees and the wooded area that would have covered that hillside in Jesus' time. So I hope that if you can picture that in your mind... And I encourage you to, to go, go look at images to, to give you a better idea of, of how Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Verse 30. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying the colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. That, that first part there, I just find so amazing. If, if you put yourself in, in shoes, if somebody just came up to you and said, hey, we need your car, the Lord needs it. I know for me that I would have some questions. But obviously, Jesus' authority and his ability to, to again, just proclaim this, the people knew through the power of the Spirit that this was something that they just needed to do. And maybe again, as, as we go through this, there's, there's parts in our own lives where we just need to stop and ask the Holy Spirit, is this part of what you are asking of me? Be more conscious of those, those day-to-day things that the Holy Spirit asks of us. Lord, I'll do it because you are asking and it may seem quite odd. It might seem out of nowhere. But God is, as we know, isn't a God of, of, of chaos. He's of order. 
So can we, as we go through our day, have a sensitivity to know that God is asking us to give of these things? If we, for a minute here, bear with me, continuing to go on this, this donkey. I don't know about you, but I have, I have this preconceived notion and idea of what a donkey is like, right? You think of a donkey, maybe, you know, you like trek donkey, uh, or, or maybe, you, you know, maybe that's your preconceived notion of a donkey, or, or just this, you know, Eeyore, ooh, you know, Eeyore, just, you know, nothing's right, ooh, you know, nothing, or, or, or if you think about it, if you've encountered Donnie's, like, I always had this picture, like, they are stubborn. And they just, they're not going to move and they're not going to do anything they don't want to do. So I apologize, I'm losing the plot a little bit, but I had to look up facts about donkeys. I just had to do it. And they actually are quite intelligent. It kind of surprised me that, that they actually have an incredible memory. And they can remember encountering people or encountering other donkeys, like they figure up to like 25 years later, if they don't see them for 25 years, they'll know that they've encountered them. I was like, wow. <laughs> I didn't expect that out of, out of donkeys. I'd kind of written them off, you know, like horses are elevated, you know, like beautiful horses, like the donkey, it's kind of like, right? But sorry, I know I understand that maybe that will help you in like your trivial pursuit board game, some random fact about donkey, but but what I actually found out was, was actually very, very profound. In ancient Middle Eastern times, kings actually rode donkeys into cities when they were showing a sign of peace. That if, if a king or somebody of importance rode in on a horse, they were coming for different reasons. Generally, it was not good. It was usually declaring of war. That as I look through the, the Old Testament scriptures, that it actually happens often. Solomon and David, many people, they rode on donkeys, but it was in a time of showing it was in a peaceful manner. We see that Jesus, again, is, is using this example of something I rode off for so long, a donkey, as a sign to show that he was coming in peace. That, that he also was fulfilling so many prophecies. Friends, how many of you know that, that, that Jesus wasn't just this afterthought, that he was just plunked into the New Testament? That actually Jesus is, is throughout the Old Testament. There's prophecies speaking about his coming. That he's a significant part of these. And I just chose one because there's so many just declaring that Jesus was coming. In Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice, O Zion. Shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. You see, I'm, I'm trying to, again, paint this picture, and as Luke is trying to do that, Jesus is the person who, who the Old Testament is talking about. Hundreds of years earlier, that, that as we read God's word, we can see that it's inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. How, how could these things connect? Only by the power of God. And that's why the word is so powerful. And these, these scriptures, when I read them, they're just something that stirs inside of me. Just, man, God, 
You're just so big and so amazing that you connected all these things and that we can go back now because we honestly have the blessing of hindsight and can look back. Wow. Let's get back into verse 36. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When they reached the place where the road started down on the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Again, if we, if we use the picture of the terrain, Jesus is coming down the hillside. But what has happened is these crowds have begun to gather because they have seen so many amazing things. They have seen Jesus raise Lazarus. They have, they have seen blind people be healed. They, they, have, they have seen all sorts of amazing things and they begin to follow Jesus because they're like, this, this is amazing. Is, is this the person that the scriptures are talking about? You see, ancient Israel again had this idea of, of this, this promise that God would come himself. He would arrive and he would rescue his people. As we see in the Old Testament, other, other prophecies and other prophets would speak about the king who would come. He would ride into Jerusalem to bring justice and peace. Jesus has activated all of these hopes in these people. And everyone's pretty excited about it. Here is what the crowd begins to shout. Verse 38. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. As they declare that, they again are declaring back to the Old Testament. As I was going through this, it, it came to me just to, to one, uh, the psalm of Psalm 118. A psalm that, that rejoices in the Lord's triumph. As you go through the psalm and enter verse 22, it talks about Jesus. It talks about this stone that's been rejected, but it becomes the cornerstone. Talking about Jesus. This marvelous work by God's doing, which launches the days of, and the day of salvation as it continues in verses 23 and 24. The day of anticipation, this day of, of salvation is coming. Verse 25, it mentions, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, we pray, give us this success. What is this success? It's, it's nothing generic. It is talking about the person. It's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Without doubt, this crowd is declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. As we look at verse 39, there's a group that doesn't agree. There's a group that sees it much differently. Verse 39. 
But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like this. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. The Pharisees didn't get it. They missed it. They didn't understand. They wanted Jesus to stop this madness, to be honest. It was making them very, very nervous. The religious leaders of that time saw Jesus as a threat to their power. They weren't happy about what the crowd was saying and tried to quiet them. If we put it another way, they are saying, Jesus, like, do you actually hear what the crowd is saying? Do you actually, do you actually, are you understanding what they are saying about you? They believe that you are that, the Messiah that the scriptures have talked about to come save us. But that is welcome, and that is reserved for the actual Messiah. Israel's Savior, that, that's not you. They try to, as if right, bring the crowd down, try to rationalize with them. That, that Jesus, this isn't the person that we've been waiting for. And as I read this, I continued to think ahead to Easter. There's so much excitement. There's so much joy. The, the, as if the red carpet's being rolled out for Jesus, but it only takes a week for those chairs to change to crucify him. And I began to just ponder and think about how quickly did that turn? Why did that turn so quickly? And Philip Yancey says this. He says, yes, there's a whiff of triumph on Palm Sunday, but not the kind of triumph that would impress Rome. Not the kind that would impress crowds in Jerusalem for long either. What manner of a king was this? In only a week, things change. But I, as I read, I wasn't satisfied just with that. I, I, I was like, I need to understand this. And the Gospels, the other Gospels, actually give us some more insight into this. As I mentioned, a large crowd was following Jesus because of the amazing miracles that he had done. And I had mentioned some of them. If we as well go into the context and the time frame of where we are at, the Passover is coming soon. If you remember, the Passover celebration was a celebration to remind the Israelites of God removing them from the captives in Egypt. As people begin to flock into Jerusalem and crowds begin to grow, the Pharisees that we just talked about actually would talk to the Romans and would mention, you know what, you need to watch out for certain people because they could cause problems. 
you know what? You need to actually watch out for this Jesus. I think he's stirring something up that, be, that could turn into a problem for you and, and you need to deal with it. And I got into the history as well of that time frame and, and before Jesus' birth. And, and William Barclay describes it like this. He says, when two societies, the Romans and the Israelites or the Jews, collide in, in history, he talks about the 30 years before. He talks about 67 to 37 BC. He says, before the emergence of Herod the Great, no fewer than 150,000 Men perished in Palestine in revolutionary uprising. There is no more explosive, inflammable country in the, in the world than Palestine. And why is that significant? Because the Romans, over the last 30 years, have been brutalizing the Jewish people with unthinkable things as, as revolts start to rise up under this oppression. And so you can see that, that the people want a warrior king. These, these people just want the Romans gone. They're, they're tired of seeing their friends and their families tortured and killed under the Roman oppression. And, and all they can think of is we need somebody stronger to take them out. That, that we need the Romans gone. Yet Jesus knew in this time how fragile the crowd was. That they would be shouting Hosanna one week and they would be shouting crucify him the next. Because he didn't come the way that they anticipated. That they so, so badly wanted a change and they believed that it could only come by force. And so I believe that helps us get a get a context and a culture and into what people were feeling at that time. The Bible Project sums it up this way, verse 41. Back to Jesus entering the city. They say this, they say, Jesus can see what is coming. He knows that he won't be accepted as Israel's king. He knows that Israel will keep going down a destructive path. Neglecting the poor, stirring up rebellion against their Roman oppressors. And he knows that it'll lead to death. And it breaks his heart. He knows that they are not going to accept him as Lord and Savior. And it breaks his heart. As we have just seen, Jesus came in a different way. Than was expected. Yet as we read through the details in the history, we maybe can sometimes detach ourselves from this. But it's my belief that we, we can find some things that, that we can connect with. As we can bring it into our own context today. And I'm going to end with these points this morning. <clears throat> as I grew up we often talked about, I grew up in a church, but we often talked about our worldview. We talked about the way we see things, and, and we often, I often heard about this analogy, and it worked well for me because I have glasses. But how we see things, how we see the world, how, how we could possibly see Jesus, that, that 
There's times in our lives, like me as well, that they, be, they become blurry, they become dirty. That, that we can package Jesus in a certain way. It could be from our upbringing, the things we experience in our lives, whether hurtful things. Could be, it could be traditions. Could be, sadly, false teaching that we've heard. We could possibly label Jesus a certain way. We could, we could maybe, maybe some of you, how I grew up, could, could see Jesus as, as just this, this felt bored little figure that the Sunday school teacher would, would move around. That, that Jesus was connected to Kool-Aid and, and stars on the wall. That we could keep our minds and think Jesus is still that same Jesus. But friends, we miss Jesus for who he really is if we keep that in our minds. If we allow those, those things in our past and our history to blur our vision of who the real Jesus is. Maybe possibly you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, like all of us, we maybe have misconceptions about the real Jesus. Could come from past hurts. Or maybe our own thoughts and our own desires. How quickly we as well can turn, and I can do this as well, how we can turn just like that crowd did. When, when Jesus doesn't come the way that we wanted him to. How, how quickly we can point to a finger at Jesus. But friends, we know that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, to change our thinking, to change our hearts, to see Jesus for who he really is, our Lord and Savior. For that possibly longing in your heart and not knowing what it is, well, guess what? That's a relationship with Jesus. And we'd love to pray with you if you haven't done so. As we've gone through the last number of weeks and the things that have gone on, I want to know Jesus, don't you? I want to know Jesus for who he really is. I'm going to end with this. Sometimes we ask for growth and he answers with rain. Sometimes we ask for oak trees and he answers with acorns. When he comes into our circumstances, will we miss it because we want our ways and not his ways? I'm going to pray over us. As we often share, while we go through this, these messages speak deeply to us. 
And I know as well that my journey of wanting to know the real Jesus is an important one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we have just read in your word on how you entered Jerusalem, how, how you came as a humble king riding on a colt in peace. And Lord, that, that we wouldn't miss you for who you really are, our Lord and Savior, that, that you desire a relationship with us. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would rain down upon us, that you would break away anything that isn't of you in our thinking and in our hearts about Jesus. You could help us get back to seeing Jesus high and lifted up and exalted. That we could see the risen king. I thank you, Lord God, that you came humbly. That you came in a way that, that we didn't expect. And so, Lord, I just ask that, that you would continue the work that you're doing in all of us towards being more like you each and every day. Amen.